ladies and gentlemen, Welcome back, Wildcat Faithful. My name is Ronnie Stoffel, and today I'm joined by the senior editor of Wildcat Authority, as well as the host of the Wildcat Scoop podcast, Jason Shear. Jason, thanks so much for joining us, man. Let's just go ahead and jump right into this. You know, the season has not gone as we've expected, uh, as most fans have expected, probably, right? Uh, 16 and 7, tons of talent on the team. Uh, but, you know, there, there's you know, plenty of chatter, you know, when things go like this, that, you know, is it on the coaching staff? I, I think that, you know, obviously the coaching staff deserves some of the blame. Uh, but is, is it fair to say, I mean, that there's, there's a decent split maybe between the coaching staff, specifically Sean Miller, as well as, you know, there's just not the chemistry on this team between between the players that, that that's necessary to win. I mean, is, is any of that fair to say? But like they turned a corner on the Washington trip, they're still the only Pac-12 team to get a sweep on on the road, uh, which is kind of crazy because it's February already. But um, And then they go and, and they look bad in the last 10 minutes against USC and absolutely terrible against UCLA. And this week they could go and they could sweep or get swept and, I don't know if either would uh, would be a, a surprise. I just think that um, the, the staff probably overestimated uh, the impact of the freshmen um, and probably overestimated uh, the ability of the transfers and the older guys to kind of settle things down. And, and this is kind of what you get, issues with chemistry and, and things like that. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with that, and then, you know also too, Jason. I, I think maybe taking this a step further, right? Because if, if you if you take a look and you try to compare, um, you know, the incoming the, the, those coveted incoming freshmen, right? I mean, obviously uh, the the three of them, the headliners, Nico, Josh Green, and then of course Zeke. Um, you know, if if we look back, maybe that 2017 year, the 2016, 2017 year um, was probably the last time that we actually had, you know, this 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 abundance of freshmen maybe coming in right away and, and having like an immediate impact. Of course, that was the year of Larry Markinen, Kobe Simmons and Raleigh Alkins. Right. Um, it kind of comparing those two teams. Right off the bat, to me, it just seemed like that 2016-2017 team almost just had like a, a, a stronger foundation. Almost, you know, just like the infrastructure was there as far as like the Kadeem Allen's. You know, say what you want about PJC, but you know, PJC was there. Uh, it was playing valuable minutes. Uh, had a carved out role, like you knew what to expect. Dusan was there. You know, and then you fast forward to this team, and it's like, okay, well, yeah, we entered the season with, you know, of course, Ira Lee, which, you know, we, we know what Ira Lee is at this point in his career, right? I mean, he's scrappy. You know, it's, it's ups and downs. You got you to gotta take the good with the bad, right? All of that, fine. Um, and then, but then, of course, you have Dylan Smith, and then there's, you know, Chase Jeter, which I'll ask you about here in a minute, too. But, I mean, do you, do you think there's something there, too, where just, you know, that infrastructure, like the overall foundation was just really not in place to really, I, I guess, have three starting freshmen come right in and take control yeah i mean there, there just wasn't much continuity at, at all i mean even the guys dylan smith came back and you would hope that he would step up and there obviously hasn't been improvement there 
Devin Eardentriff was a, re- a returning player, and, yeah. and he's not there. Brandon Williams. I mean, the guys that were supposed to be returning and be the anchor of the team um, have disappeared. Chase Sheeter's another one. And I think that it's difficult to rely so much on three freshmen and basically say, like what you mentioned, you know, you're going to be the foundation of the team. You look around the country, and even the teams with good freshmen, like Duke has Vernon Carey and Matthew Hurt, for instance, they still have that returning guy like a Trey Jones. And, and so it, it's it's really difficult the, the way that Arizona Foundation is laid out is you don't really know what it is. I mean, the foundation now is the three freshmen, and it's really hard to win basketball games that way. And then so let's just get to the, I mean, you know, that elephant in the room really with Chase Jeter. I mean, as far as you can tell, I mean, as far as anyone can tell, I mean, it seems like he's probably done with us, right? I mean, what, what are you hearing? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, what should we expect from, from Chase Jeter moving forward? Because I, I don't think he's hurt anymore, right? I mean, no, he's, he's healthy. He's able to play. Um, I, I think the thing with him is I, I don't know how much he wants to play. Like, I don't know if he's angry that he's not playing. And when you have a kid like that, um, you pretty much assume he's done. Like, he didn't play against UCLA when Arizona could have maybe used him in the post or another guy in the post, and, and he didn't play. Um, he got in like one minute in the Washington game, I think it was. And if they're not playing him right now, you got to assume that he's just flat out not going to play. Um, it, it's almost like he quit the team, but he's still on it just for optics or whatever. And I, I mean, you never know. Things could happen, emergency situations, the, the light could go on. But, but I think at this point, the safest bet is to just assume that. Arizona's pretty much without Chase Jeter for the rest of the season. Yeah, it's so disappointing with Chase Jeter. I mean, you know, he was such a pivotal part of last year's team. And, you know, of course, last year's team wasn't really anything to write home about. But, but as far, you know, it, it, it was just one of those things that I touched on, right, that we just talked about. It was like a foundational piece that you expected him to play, you know, some some role here, at least some valuable role. And, and he's just been discounted so far that, yeah, it's, it's really disappointing. Huh? But I think you're right. I mean, as far as, you know, the season's concerned, again, we're 23 games into this thing, and there's only eight regular season games left. And it's just he's those last few games, it's he hasn't been there. So I, I think that that's probably fair to say it's it's us moving on without him. Um, I, you know, there, there, there's been plenty of talk uh, about Dylan Smith, uh, what's going to happen there with the rotation. Um for anybody who had not listened to the Wildcat scoop this past week, uh, where Jason talked about, of course, the Dylan Smith situation, as well as kind of just the, uh, the soft mentality of the team. I, I definitely recommend going back and listen to that piggybacking off of what you had said there, Jason, um, you know, with Dylan Smith, um, I, if, if, I believe I'm going to quote you correctly here. It sounds like you're in favor of sitting Dylan Smith, which almost seems like a no brainer at this point, but, and then moving forward with, with Jamal Baker, I mean, is, is there really any other, option in play here for Sean Miller? No, I, I mean, they, they want nothing more than for Dylan Smith to succeed and be able to stay in the starting lineup. They like his size. They like his defensive ability. But eventually, it, you got to balance it out. I mean, if he's defending well but killing you on offense, you got to kind of pick your poison, so to speak. And he's been really bad on offense. He hit that three, the first three against Washington, and then he's over his next 17 from behind the arc. He's like 4 of 27 from the field. And eventually you got to say, look, we like him as a defender, but the impact he's having on us offensively, it's just too much to overcome. It's basically playing five on four. And so my guess is that he heads to the bench this week. It's not definite. Uh, Miller usually decides that like the day before a game, so he might decide that today. Um, It's not a guarantee that, that it'll be Baker in the starting lineup because Baker's the backup point guard. 
if they put him in there, he gets in foul trouble or whatever, they, they basically don't have a point guard. So there's actually a, a legit chance they put in Hazard and see if they could get his confidence going and, and see if they can get his shooting ability going and, and see if they can spark the offense. So that's another decision they have to make because they're kind of shorthanded at back at point guard and Baker's really the only guy that can do it. But uh, I just think that they've reached a point with Smith where they got to sit him down and say, look, this is up and maybe kind of ease you back into things. But right now um, he's just hurting the team too much offensively. You mentioned Max Hazard there, and, and I totally understand why the, the decision would be then to go with Max Hazard over Jamal Baker at first and while you're still trying to kind of feel this thing out. And then hopefully, I mean, because honestly, the, the obvious solution is that Dylan Smith just shoots his way out of this slump, right? Uh, he's obviously a 3 and D guy. He is a good defender. I mean, that's fine. You hit it right on the head there. I mean, obviously, right, this is a, uh, a four on five anytime that uh, U of A is on the offensive side of the court. So you, that, that's, that you can't continue with that. Um, Max Hazard, though, I mean, I I don't know necessarily what the expectations were overall um, when he, you know, for him coming in and what kind of role everybody expected. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think the expectations were necessarily, you know, like way out there, like to the moon. Um, but, but, but as far overall as, you know, like what we've seen from him up to this point, um, would you consider his addition to the team a, a, a disappointment overall? Yeah, I think so, and I think part of that is is Arizona's blame, and part of it is him. He he was never a good defender, and and when you play for Sean Miller, you better be able to defend. And I think what's happening is he's not defending, and and the hook is kind of quick for him. And he's a shooter. I mean, he has to find a rhythm. It's really hard to play three minutes, come out, play three minutes, come out, etc. As a shooter, I mean, you need to be able to kind of work in a rhythm, and he hasn't been able to do that. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why starting him could be a good idea. You basically say, look, I'm going to give you the first 10 minutes or so to kind of find a rhythm, and if you're not defending or whatever, we'll, we'll take a look at it. But he was, he was brought in to be a, a shooter and really stretch the offense, and he's had some really good games. But um, And, again, I, I don't think he's completely to blame. I, I think maybe the system isn't as beneficial to him as other ones. You know, Irvine, he could pretty much have a shot when he won, and he was playing 30, 35 minutes no matter what his defense was like. But – um, he's a guy where, where I think that this team is, is at its best when he's able to, to get going offensively. I just think he changes everything. He's one of the few guys on the roster that could score, you know, nine points in, in a minute and, and, and do so and, and change the outlook of a game. And so, um, to me, that, that's probably why I would start him over Baker. But overall, um, it, it, I think it's easy to say he's been a disappointment just because the inconsistency is there. And, and I think people expected a, a better overall shooter and a guy that made an impact, but for a few reasons, he hasn't been able to do that. Circling back to, to the, your, your last week's podcast um, with the whole mentality of, you know, just this team is just soft. And, and, and I 100% agree. I mean, anybody who watched the second half of that UCLA game uh, has to agree in my opinion, or, or they're somewhat delusional. Um, I, I, it, it, as far as, you know, I, I think at this point, right, again, we're so far in the season that, that at this point, I mean, the team kind of is what it is, right? And I think you also made a very good point as far as, you know, like Nico Mannion. Um, Nico Mannion is, is obviously a fantastic player, right? And he brings tremendous value to this team, to, 
to the roster, to, to the program, all of that. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head when, when, when you mentioned that he is a score first point guard. I mean, I think that's really, um, I, I think that's very evident, right? Like there's, there's no, you know, yes, he's, he, 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 his assist numbers are up. He, he's, he's, he's a good passer, right? I mean, he's a point guard by nature, but he's a scoring point guard. Um, how much of, how, how much of just that scoring mentality that he possesses, is truly a detriment to, to the, to the rest of the players, but then also specifically Josh green, because it does feel like, you know, I, I know they're buddies and stuff. So I, you know, I, I doubt that there's like feuding really behind the scenes, like beef or whatever between the players, but, but specifically for Josh green, because it does feel like he is very underutilized offensively. I mean, he's a freak athlete and defensively he's fine. You know, like he's great. That's, that's, that's good. Um, but, but how much of the scoring first mentality by Nico is really a detriment specifically then to even, Josh Green on the offensive side of the floor. Like if his shot's not hitting, um, he starts to push a little too much, and he gets kind of tunnel vision, and he's putting up shots that he has no business shooting. And his best games are, are when he's gone and got gotten those good shots, as opposed to those fadeaway threes and you know leaning threes that he shot in too many games. Baylor, Gonzaga, he did against UCLA a bit, um, and so the offense starts to suffer because of that, as opposed to find his strength is in his slashing ability. And so teams are sagging off him, and I think that Nico has to find a way to get him the ball. And, and it's not all on Nico. I think Josh needs to realize, hey, they're, they're backing off me for a reason from three. I need to get in closer. Um, he's his best, at his best by far in transition and when he's attacking the basket. And, and he's another guy that when he struggles with that jumper, um, his response has been like, well, I'm, I'm just going to keep shooting these jumpers as opposed to, okay, I need to get to the basket get to the free throw. Um, there, there's a few guys like that. Uh, I thought that was one of the issues against UCLA was that the guys, instead of looking for the easier baskets, were just putting up shots, hoping that they would get in. And before you know it, Arizona's got its you know worst shooting in McHale history. So uh, I, I don't know if it's a detriment that Nico is a shoot for point guard um, I, as much as it's a detriment that um, because he likes to shoot and find his shot, which is fine, um, he, he kind of gets tunnel vision once in a while and it impacts the entire offense. And you kind of know when it's coming, when he's missing shots, and all of a sudden he starts putting up shots that look worse and worse. You know that he's going to kind of still do that until some shots fall. So I think you kind of touched on something there uh, as far as, you know, kind of trying to almost shoot himself out of, of whatever slump he's in, right, being Josh Green, of course, um, and that his, his true, um, the true value in his offensive game is, is as a slasher. And I, and I agree with that, too, because, I mean, if you watch some of, the, some of these plays where he goes baseline and Nico's fine, I mean, he's electrifying, and he's just such a, like I said, it's such a freak athlete that it just makes sense, and, and uh, it's, it's hard to guard, right? So then not only, I mean, play to your strength, but then also, play to the team strength as far as like drawing fouls getting the free throw line getting the bonus all of that right um but but almost ditching that mentality and then sticking with the mentality of uh, of you know i'm going to shoot my way out of this and and it's almost like i i is it fair to say uh, is it fair to say that that then kind of like plays into that whole like soft mentality where it's like you know it like yes obviously these guys want to win so i'm not suggesting that i mean obviously the name of the game is to win and these guys want to do that um but that killer mentality where it's like they're not necessarily doing the things necessary or that like they were played to their strengths that softer mentality i mean is, is is that something that at this point in the season i mean you are who you are can you play your way out of that? I mean, are, are you able to kind of toughen up mentally 
mentally and then find yourself and pull yourself out of this, this soft mentality thing that's going on? I think it's really hard. I think it's something you kind of either have it or, or you don't. And it's obvious that this team doesn't have the killer instinct. And it could go down you know, to a lack of leadership. You look at the team and you kind of wonder who that vocal leader is. Um, with Sean Miller's best teams, like when TJ was on the team, you knew it was TJ and he was the leader and his best team. Um, this team doesn't have that guy. There's nobody saying, all right, we need to get tough or we need to hunker down on defense. And, I mean, if Arizona had a killer you know, mentality where they're putting teams away, they probably have two, three more wins right now. And I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not confident that it's something that you can just have. Uh, maybe that changes. Maybe it just takes one game where, you know, you kind of put a team away at the end and, and things change. But um, it, it's tough. It's really tough to, to change. I, I kind of think in that regard, Arizona is what it is. I, I don't think it's as bad of closing a game as we saw against ASU, but it's obviously, you know, not one of their strengths. And it's something where when you're looking at Arizona going against whatever team, it, it's got to be a concern in a close game who you go into and, and is this team going to be able to put away other teams that are going to kind of scrap for that last basket and, and scrap for that last defensive stop? It does feel like something that's just, um, just, just an innate ability that, that you know you just possess. Like it feels like something that and I'd use the old cliche, but you know it's like something that that, that that you can't teach. You know what I mean? Like it does just seem like if, if you don't have it, I mean, especially at this point in the season, I, I, it, it's hard to imagine that all of a sudden it's just going to magically flip overnight. Um, but so, like I said, I mean, here we are, right? We're tied for third in the pack. Um, still very much in play for for a regular season uh, championship. And then, of course, I mean, at that point, I mean, even if we don't get the regular season championship, I mean, the Pac-12 tournament, if they were to go on and win that, it really wouldn't be surprising because, I mean, they're, they're plenty talented and they'll be playing all the same teams again. So there will be a level of familiarity. Um, but I guess just based off of what we've seen, that may not be a realistic expectation. Uh, Jason, as far as you can tell, I mean, for, for all the fans, I mean, what is a realistic expectation for the rest of the year, the Pac-12 tournament? And then, of course, I mean, I, I agree with you when, when you said it's going to take like an epic collapse for this team not to make uh, the big dance come March. Um, so I, I do expect them to be there. Um, but, but what are your expectations for the rest of the regular season, you know, the Pac-12 tournament, and then if however far this team can go come March? It's so hard to say because the team is so unpredictable. I mean, if they go out and get a sweep on the road this week, they're in legit shape to win the conference because Colorado plays Oregon again. Um, the only time Arizona would have to go on the road would be the L.A. school. So if they, you know, split there and um, they're right there, my guess is they don't win the conference. They probably finish second or third. And uh, winning the Pac-12 title, I, I usually look at a team like a UCLA, um, which, you know, kind of absolutely needs to win to make the postseason, or, or a team like Colorado who has a ton of experience. Um, it, my guess is that on, on Selection Sunday, Arizona's probably a six or seven seed. Um, it, it'll be interesting because the you know the analysts and all that are going to be there, but Arizona actually did. Um, it's going to be difficult. I, I think when you're looking for impressive wins and all that, Arizona would be best served obviously by not losing a bad game. So losing at Cal uh, on Thursday would be considered a bad loss. Losing at home to like an Oregon State or Washington, Washington State would be a bad loss. So if Arizona wins the game, just supposed to, it kind of steals another one or two. Um, it can move up. Um, but, you know, I, this is a big week. I, I think Arizona probably needs a sweep in order to win the conference, but it's right there for the taking. I mean, they absolutely can do it. 
All right. uh, good stuff as far as basketball is concerned. Jason, just, just in the next couple minutes here, we'll wrap this thing up, but I do want to pivot to football. Um, you know, Arizona wrapped up their recruiting class uh, last week. Um, it was, um, well, I mean, you, you can, you can go look at the rankings, right? As far as, uh, as far as Arizona is concerned, they're dead last, according to 247.com. They're dead last in the PAC 12. I think that they're still currently sitting at uh, 65th overall nationally. Um, honestly, not, not necessarily what you'd expect when, when you know that Kevin Sumlin's, uh, the, the main guy on the trail here, uh, especially just given all the success he's had, uh, up to this point at Arizona, or, you know, maybe even last year when he landed, um, when he landed Grant Cannell and Booby Curry, but, um, and, and Bobby Wolf for that matter. I mean, he landed, uh, depending on which outlets you looked at, I mean, he landed anywhere from at least one to three. Uh, four-star guys, none on the roster uh, in this class. Um, what, what, what are your overall thoughts? I mean, state of the program, this recruiting class, I, I mean, it's obviously a disappointment, but but where, where, where do you stand with the state of the program? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's any secret where Arizona is right now. Someone has to make a bowl next season or, or he's going to be fired. Um, I think he would be the first person to tell you that. They thought that there was a solid chance they were going to be fired last season, but um, you got to be able to recruit, and I think that someone made similar mistakes to Rich Rodriguez, and then he hired assistants that really didn't follow their recruiting model and, and weren't aggressive recruiters, and they got rid of them, but it, it's it's late. I mean, it's late to make coaching changes, and they brought in guys that weren't able to save the recruiting class. Most coaches wouldn't be able to save a recruiting class that late in the process, and um, you look at the class, there's not a lot of immediate impact uh, in order to kind of save his job. And I'm sure they're going to go out and get two, three graduate transfers that will be able to play right away. They got it in Brendan Schooler at wide receiver. They got it in Aaron Blackwell on the defensive line. But uh, the schedule's not great. The overall talent is still kind of lacking. And um, I, I think everybody kind of sees where the program is headed. It's just a matter of when it gets there. How big of a loss is DeMarco Murray going to, to, to Oklahoma for, for Kevin Sumlin's staff? I don't think it's a big loss. I mean, he was only here for a year. Uh, they were able to keep Frank Brown without him. He had a hand in that, obviously, but um, Sumlin actually had a, a very large hand in, in keeping Frank Brown, got a great relationship with him. Um, the running backs were fine. I, I thought that his rotations at running back weren't great. I, I thought J.J. Taylor should have got more carries or situations where Wiley was in late in the game where Taylor should have been, and that's something that they leave up to the assistants to take care of. Um, but the reality is he was only here for a year, and so they'll, they'll hire a solid coach, but likely. And, um, you know, if he continues with Arizona, people will be fine with him. And if he doesn't, I don't think anyone will know the difference because they'll both be here for a year. I, you know, when, when, when someone first hired him to the staff, it kind of feel like, oh man, that's going to go miles and miles on the recruiting trail just because he's such a, obviously such a recognizable name. And, you know, the high schoolers at this time, you know, he's not that far removed really from, from the NFL and everyone knows who DeMarco Murray is. So, um, you know, honestly it was slightly underwhelming and, you know, as far as his impact on the recruiting trail, uh, I'm very happy that we were able to still keep Frank Brown. So that makes sense. 
um, that you know maybe maybe his impact or I guess the 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 loss of Demarco Murray will not have that much of an impact. I, I you know I can buy into that theory. Um, Jason, uh, let me ask you this: two, two more quick questions, and then I'll let you go here. Um, with, with with Mel Tucker uh, now, looks like uh, looks like a surefire deal going to going to Michigan State, leaving Colorado. That that leaves kind of the, the, this idea out there that you know, obviously Jason Harris, uh, you know, brother of Jalen Harris, all of that, um, with with deep rooted U of A uh, ties. Um, chose Colorado over Arizona. It all made sense, right? Um, is there any chance? I mean, I'll phrase it another way. Um, do you feel that, that that it's likely at all that Jason Harris will 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 leave Colorado after Mel Tucker's departure and come to Arizona? I would be surprised. Uh, there's some bad blood there with how Jalen has been handled. I mean, they they took visits and Jalen was out there getting tense. I think that they wait to see who Colorado hires and, and then kind of go from there. And I'm sure if he gets out, Arizona will will be all over him. But um, it would surprise me if they're able to kind of mend the fences with everybody and and land Jason Harris. Um, I know that the family pulls there, and I know that if he gets off, you know, the the coaches are going to be aggressive with him. And um, Paul Rhodes had a great relationship with Jason Harris um, over at UCLA when when he was there. Uh, but overall, I, I just think it's a tough situation. They're leaving Colorado with a new coach, and then they would be going to Arizona knowing that Jason could have a new coach in, in a year if things don't pan out right away. So uh, I would be surprised if he winds up at Arizona. Fair enough. Uh, Jason, last thing for you. Um, obviously, um, defense has been a pain point for Arizona. I mean, going back, honestly, but probably to like the, well, at least the 2016 season, there were even pain points in the 2015 season. But I mean, this is just year after year now, it feels like. Um, why should Arizona fans feel that Paul Rhodes can come in and, you know, he and his staff and, and can somewhat turn these things around. I mean, not necessarily to put Arizona, you know, leading the Pac-12 in total defense or, you know, even points loud, whatever, but but at least to get back like middle of the road out, out of bottom dweller status. I, I do think that when you take a look at the defensive staff as a whole with Egan and Andy Boo and, and, and Paul Rhodes, fundamentally they are the best teaching defensive staff Arizona's had in a while. They they know what they're doing. They know what to focus on. Um, I think these guys are going to get coached up. I, I think that if the defense doesn't play well, I, I wouldn't blame coaching this time around. I, I think that you have to look at the personnel. Um, but Rhodes is a good defensive coordinator. These are good position coaches. Um, I, they have talent. They're moving to the 3-4. There's talent at line. Able to, to narrow the focus at safety, which was an issue last season. They added Blackwell. Um, there's there's room for improvement. There absolutely is. They're probably going to go get a couple more guys, grad transfer or JUCO, whatever it may be. Um, so so there is room for improvement. It, it won't be easy, but on paper, this should be a better defense than it was last year. Well, hey, I'll I'll buy into that. That's exciting because honestly, if the defense tightens up, um, you know, you you kind of I guess have an idea of what you're getting from the offensive side. I mean, you know, Grant Cannell is. Um, well, I mean, he had flashes, and hopefully, his second year in the season, second year older, right, the whole bit. Um, you know, offensively shouldn't necessarily be the pain point. So if they can turn things around. Maybe a bull's not all that far off. So, uh, Jason Shear, thanks so much, man, for joining us. For all our listeners, of course, Jason, you can follow him. Uh, while 
Wildcat Authority as he's the senior editor there. And then be sure to, uh, to, to subscribe to his, to his podcast, the Wildcat Scoop podcast. That is all football, basketball, Arizona football, basketball stuff there. So, Jason, again, thanks so much for joining us, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.